This is James Axel, and I'm coming to you semi-homemade live on a pile of stuffed animals. Oh my God, James, I cannot believe you just said that on <laughs> the air. Oh, my. oh, believe it, believe it. That's all you're you going to get crazy. here is 100% growth. And I love that. Thank you, thank you. Excuse no me, sir. Right are you even listening you to the words to coming out of I your mouth? You have absolutely no right to even be saying. Oh my gosh, you're insane. Here at James Axel, all we give you is 100% truth. Guaranteed. My name is James Axel, and I'm coming to you semi-homemade live on a pile of stuffed animals. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Oh, wait, no, no, I can't start it like. No, let me do that again. Give me two seconds. Ladies and gentlemen of every size and shape and color, I would like to present to you James Axel. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for that. What an amazing introduction that was. Thank you, James, for that marvelous introduction. Okay, today we have quite the show for you today. I realized on my app on Anchor, I did not upload one episode for this week. I could not believe it. So anchor this, this and and for all of my fan, my fan that's out there, that one person that listens to me, I want you to know how much I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to what I have to say. And I'm making this for you. That one fan that I know I got. That's what I'm doing it for. I'm doing it for the fan, not the fans. You don't need multiple fans. You just need one. And if you can get one fan, that's cool enough for me. Get it? Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. That was what? Oh, gosh. Chuck, can we get a drum roll, please? Oh, thank you, Chuck, my very trusty, reliable drummer. Okay, today's podcast is going to be giving you nothing but swirls and twirls of excitement and adventure. I'm going to read from the BIM book, of course, The Believing in Myself. I opened it to page June 10th today, and I'm going to talk about, I have to say, Probably the most magical walkthrough at a cemetery I've ever had in my life. I mean, this story is kind of, it's very cool. It's not kind of cool. It's really cool. And then um, I'm going to play some sound bites. These, have you ever been so angry before? I mean, I'm talking angry. I don't mean like, oh. Someone just stole your last Jello cup. I'm not talking like that kind of angry. I'm talking 
like somebody opened the bottle of champagne you and your wife were waiting 50 years for, for just, you know, having a couple of sips and not liking it and then putting it back. And you're like, what the? Like, you know, that kind of, you know, angry. I was a little angry a couple of days ago and I... I made some sound bites, and man, oh man, I'm gonna play them. Uh, because it's it's I'm not that angry anymore, but I'm glad I did capture it. Cause man, oh man, I was pissed. Oh, I was just pissed. You know, like I was just talking. <sighs> Here we go. Here's the truth. The truth is coming out. I, the truth will set you free as what they say, right? As they say, the truth will set you free. Well, this is my truth right now. If anyone is, has any, okay, there are three uh, places I like to go to get my cannabis. MMD, Herbarium, and Calma. A. They're within the vicinity that I can easily walk to since I do not have a vehicle. I have no desire of getting a vehicle right now either. I'm helping not make that carbon footprint, so I feel great. Uh, there are three places I like going. And I think, I, I think, I really have to think this. In order to work at a cannabis supply shop or a pot store or whatever you want to call it, in order to work there, you have to be hot. Now, I know that's not the case. I know that that's not what they look for. But for some reason, all the guys that just seem to work in those shops, they are so freaking hot. And there is, oh, okay, here we go. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. There's, <laughs> there's one, one guy that works at MMD. Oh, he is so hot. And today, I, there was a lit, I mean, it, I, I totally think that this guy swings, I don't know which way. I don't think he's 100% homo, though. I don't think he's 100% homo. So I'm not sure if, he sw if his pendulum swings all the way my way all the time. However, however, I get a very strong suspicion that if for some reason we were at the right place at the right time and shit started to go down, oh, he would go with it. You know what I mean? It's just one of those, one of those guys that just knows that, hey, you know what? I'm having an experience. I'm having a moment. And this one is, okay, we're going this way. Why not? Let's have it and let's be great. And, and, and just at least in my mind, because there was a little bit, well, more than a little, there was some flirtation going on there, especially coming from me. Especially coming from me. Oh, my gosh. I become an idiot. And I, I just become an idiot. I become an idiot around guys that I have crushes on or guys that I think are attractive. And, and you would be surprised. I don't even have a type. I do not have a type. My type is men. That is my type. Men. Now, I like my men 
to be men. I want my man to be a man. You know, I'm already kind of eccentric and all over the place, right? I do not need to be dealing with myself in a relationship because it's hard enough to deal with myself in this body, let alone watching another one run around the place. Uh Uh-uh, I tried that before, ain't gonna work. Not gonna work, ain't gonna happen. Not gonna happen, no way, no how. Okay, however, a man, get it, like a, a man, man. And when I say man, it doesn't need to, they don't need to look like brawny. I mean, although if that's what they do look like, I'm not gonna throw it away. You know what I mean? I mean, we've all, I don't care what kind of gay guy you are or girl or whatever, you've always thought about Bronny. I mean, come on, I'm walking through the departments, not the department store, the, the market, and I see those paper towels with Bronny on the front. I'm like, is that why you put that on the cover, huh? Is that why? So you something to clean up, huh? Clean up an aisle, my pants. Clean up an aisle on my pants. Because I was looking at Brawny. I'm so sorry. It's like going to JCPenney's when I was a kid and staring at the men's underwear section. That's all I did. When you were younger and you went to JCPenney's, you went to Sears, you went to wherever you would go, I would make a beeline. My mother would be like, now don't get lost. And I'd be like, okay. So I would make a beeline right to the underwear section. And on the packages of the underwear would be like half-naked men with like amazing bodies. And you're just staring at them going. (gasps) And then they would have those mannequins that were like cut at the waist and then right at the thigh. And they had the biggest bulges. They were huge. I remember grabbing one once. I was like, what is in that? I want to know, like that thing, what is it holding? What can this one piece of underwear hold if that's what it's holding? It's huge. And, you know, the obsession for cock just grew from there. So not really sure what to do about that. All right, so then I'm going to read from my dad's book after I play some angry sound bites. And then I'm going to read a little excerpt that I wrote about nerds and having sex with nerds and geeks. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, I understand that the word nerd and geek could sometimes be taken offensively. When I say it, I want everyone to know I'm saying it in the most endearing way possible. To me, the epitome of hot, sexy nerd is Spencer from Criminal Minds. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That poor actor. That poor actor. Oh, Matthew, I'm so sorry that I have to use you as an example, but you're just, you play that character so perfect. I mean, you really do. I mean, come on. For a, 
for a little boy like me that, you know, just wants to be with a big, strong, sexy nerd. Now, to me, that is a big, strong, sexy nerd. Somebody that looks like Spencer from Criminal Minds, right? To me, that's a strong, sexy nerd. I mean, he carries a gun, for God's sake. Yeah, that's that's pretty strong. And if I saw him there, it would be I would want to run right in the middle of him and Derek and have both of them. I'll be like, oh my gosh, Derek, I, I love you for your arms and those eyes and that smile. And Spencer, I love you for your hair and your brain and your quirkiness. And you not ever knowing what to say right. During an intense situation. To hear a nerd or geek fumble for the right words when they're a little nervous is adorable. And the second that I can tell I'm making a sexy nerd kind of nervous, and they're kind of like, uh, 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 because you, you know, you know, when, when somebody thinks, you know, when somebody thinks you're attractive, you know, you, I'm not saying that everyone thinks that about me. Trust me. I'm not everyone's type. Huh. I, I, <laughs> I found that out. I, I found that out loud and clear. I am not everyone's type. Wow. And, and how I know that is by the responses of, this ain't fucking gonna happen. And I'm like, what do you mean? Look at me. You don't want this to happen with that? You are insane. And you would be lucky to experience this with that. I mean, seriously. Some men don't even know good taste if it's come up. And, and never mind. Never mind. And, that, and that's our show. That's really our show. Because I think that would fill it up. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. That would fill it up. All right, I'm going to read from the BIM book. Let me just get my page. We're going to open it to page June 10th. That's the page that I opened it up to. All right, y'all. What is our praise or pride? but to imagine excellence and try to make it. Richard Wilbur. Developing healthy esteem means growing ever more comfortable with who we are and of ourselves, not how we stack up in comparison with others. The ancient Greeks' concept of excellence, which they called art, not had nothing to do with superiority over others, as it does in our culture. To the Greeks, excellence was achieved when people became all they could be. Accomplishing that meant finding as many balances in life as possible. Their ideal, unlike ourselves, was moderation in all things. Constantly comparing and competing can be disastrous, especially after as far as self-esteem goes. There will always be greater and lesser persons than ourselves, and comparisons often lead to either arrogance or bitterness. 
Neither unholy glee in winning nor crushing disappointment in losing promotes a realistic, balanced self-concept. What does it matter how much others do or have? If we are striving for excellence, we are winning our own race. Our only opponents are our own... <laughs> I was just like, our, own, our only opponents are our own? I'm like... Yeah, to achieve excellence in my life is to achieve my own potential. And our only opponents are our own deficiencies. Whoa. I, I, I swear to God, this book is like a branch of my brain. It's, it's like what I always kind of think about sometimes. I'm always uh, at the, I, I want to say I do this. I do this sometimes. I, I, I can't say I do it so much anymore, though, as I did before. I would compare myself to everybody. I mean, I'm talking everybody. I would compare what I did with everyone. And the second that I would think that somebody was doing something that I wanted to better, I was like, well, then why should I even try then? Because that person is killing it over there. Well, little did I know, I very well could have been better if I just would have tried. However, I had already told myself I was never going to be good enough or better than them and I, that's what I would say. Therefore, that would give me the reason to not even try in the first place. You know what I'm saying? You know those times where we're like, oh, there's no way I could do that. And we talk ourselves out of achieving what we know we could possibly do. We just let that fear come in going, oh, no, there's no way I could do that. And you already tell yourself no without allowing yourself to find that out. I feel that we already put staples on what we can and cannot do. There have been so many things, mind you. I have told myself that there is absolutely no freaking way that any of anything could be ever possible. And now I'm starting to see things that are happening in this world that translate from the spiritual world into reality. If you would have told me things like that could have happened, I would have laughed you out of here. There's no way that I would have, uh, if you would have told me like 10 years ago, going, hey, by the way, in 10 years, there's going to be a pandemic that's called COVID-19 that will come across the nation and wipe away a lot of people and cause havoc for decades to come. Uh, by the way, during that time, though, you're going to pick up a couple of gifts, and those gifts are some psychic abilities. You're going to be able to commune with the dead, and you will be able to soak up people's emotions so you know what they feel. All right, I got to go. I'll talk to you later. Or see you in 10 years, buddy. Spaceship flies away. And I would start laughing. However, <laughs> I got to tell you, that's exactly what's happening right now. All right, I'm writing podcasts. I found my pen. I found my trusty pen.
And I'm writing podcast right on the top so that way I don't read this gem again, even though I should. Here's podcast written right there. Oh, gosh. You know, and then I... and. And before I would even give myself the chance to try, that's when I would get upset or I would get angry and I would get so just, I would get pissy. I would get so pissy. And I mean, oh my gosh, I, there was just, sometimes I wish that I could bring you into one of the, wait, what? Am I talking about? Of course I can bring you into one of those moments because I recorded it. Of course I did. Uh, And of course I'm going to share my vulnerability with you. Why would I not want to do that? Oh my gosh. Here's that. Oh, it's not embarrassing. It's an emotion. (laughs) Here's that angry shout bite that I'm so glad I got on record. I would never commit suicide. That is something that I need to state immediately up front. Not that I judge anybody that has ever done so. For going through this entire journey, I can now understand why people would take their own lives. I have felt the despair of being invisible. I have felt the despair of nobody giving a fuck. I have felt the despair of literally walking around on this planet, literally alone. I have movies to make me smile, to make me laugh. I feel like I'm watching my friends entertain me. And in my mind, one day, I will be able to entertain the world with them. However, I'm one of a billion people that want that dream to come true. I'm one of a billion people that want to make it in Hollywood. I'm one of a billion people that would give anything just to be able to put a smile on somebody's face through art. However, I'm not sure if I'll get there. I'm not sure if I ever will. I'm not sure if my dreams will come true. I'm not sure if I was just too nice to everyone that I got taken advantage of so much that I lost out on every opportunity that may have come my way thus far. I'm trying to grasp at straws and find the opportunities that are surrounding me. As of yet, I haven't found any. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not a businessman. I'm a creative. I don't know what to look for online. I'm not sure where to go. I'm not sure what to do. So I'm fumbling along on this whole journey just to have one person in Hollywood look at me and go, hey, that one, that one right there, that one might make a difference. I'm looking for somebody to view me like Charlie Chaplin, Marilyn Monroe, James Dean, or Elvis Presley. One of the old traditional greats that have graced our silver screens and made our hearts leap with joy and love. 
I'm wanting to be that one that is here to make sure that the world always smiles with love and the one that always is there to make sure that people can escape for just a moment out of that tumultuous life that they may be living. That half hour, that 45 minutes or that two hours to take somebody out of that painful life that they may be living and thrust them into a huge world of comedy and bliss. I want to be that one. I'm not sure if I ever will be. However, if I'm not, my name is James Axel, and I always wanted a star on Hollywood Walk of Fame. If I'm no longer here on this planet just for fun, will somebody please write my name on an empty star? If I'm not here anymore, would somebody please just write my name and take a picture and just smile up at the clouds so that way I at that time can look down and see my name on the Walk of Fame. Uh, you know, that's, to me, that's me writing sad, mad, and everything. I know. It's not just because I'm not screaming in the soundbite or anything like that does not mean that I wasn't angry or sad or all those emotions. That's exactly what I was feeling. I literally wrote that and then recorded it. And you could even hear me trying hard not to like fall apart at the end while I was reading it. Oh, you know, when you just get so frustrated and you're like, oh my gosh. Would someone take this invisibility Harry Potter motherfucking cloak off of me so somebody can see me, damn it? You know, like I just felt, I just sometimes feel like all of a sudden somebody puts on a cloak. Then it makes me invisible. I'm like, what the F? Okay. Oh, oh, wait. Oh. Hey, Chuck, Chuck, can we get another drum roll, please? This is so exciting. Thank you, thank you, thank you, my trusty drummer, Chuck. Okay, I went to the Hollywood Cemetery the other day, and oh my gosh, I, I, I literally had one of the most magical experiences thus far of my life at that point. When I go to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, I feel like I walk in and I can just talk to my friends. I feel like I'm with my friends. I know that sounds really weird to some people that I would want to go to a cemetery and hang out with a bunch of dead people I've never met before. However, I feel like I have met these, these, these people before. Uh, I feel like, have you ever seen, has anyone, let me adjust my microphone, sorry for the noise, there we go. Has anyone ever seen the movie Heart and Souls before? With Robert Downey Jr., Kira Sedgwick, um, oh gosh, oh my gosh, uh, uh, oh, oh, shoot. I actually had to look it up. I did. I looked it up. Heart and Souls cast. Robert Downey Jr., Kira Sedgwick, Alfre Woodard, Charles Grodin, 
Tom Sizemore, Elizabeth Shue. Oh, gosh. I, 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 I identify with that movie, kind of. <laughs> no way. I kind of identify with that movie. <coughs> Excuse me. I feel that I have had a little extra help in that uh, spiritual world department. However, I definitely feel like my my uh, guardian angels, if you will, my uh, uh, helpers just happen to be, just happen to be. I mean, it's not like I planned this. It's not like I tried to make this happen. But my guardian angels just happen to be some of the biggest names Hollywood has ever heard of. <laughs> they, and I have, I, I'm sorry, it's true. It, it, it's honest to God true. Like Marilyn Monroe and Charlie Chaplin, I feel, I feel like Charlie Chaplin is the director of my spiritual journey. I feel like he's the director and then he cast the whole production for me. And when I need some help in a certain department, he sends down one of his friends that knows everything about what I need to know and leads me around, and all of a sudden, boom, there I am. Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there it is. So I'm walking through the Hollywood Cemetery, and I see these uh, crucifixes or crosses made out of metal poles or little small metal. Uh, um, they almost look like piping, if you will. Like uh, something you would see on a Mario Kart game, or not Mario Kart, but Mario, you know, the underworld. It was like piping and water pipes and stuff like that. Well, I put my hand on it. Now, I know when a gust of wind comes and kind of blows a tree, I know what that looks like. I've seen that before many times. We all have. However, this is something that I have seen just a few times, and ever since this moment, I keep on seeing it a lot, which is great. I love it. I saw a branch of a tree that was right by me, like bend, like bend, as if something was walking past it. It was in its way. It pushed the branch out of the way, held it there while they walked by, and then let it go. So the branch would kind of like womp, 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 you know, back and forth. That's the motion that I saw. I literally saw the branch moving. And there was no other branch on this tree that was moving except for that one, which when I looked, it had another cross made out of the exact same material, although it was like, 25 steps away from me. So I walked over to that one. I placed my hand on that one. And I looked over. And sure as shit, there was a branch moving. And it was, by, it was like by a palm tree. So I start walking in that direction. Turn around. There's another cross made out of the same material. I was being led around the Hollywood Cemetery by grabbing on to these crosses that were made out of metal. See some branch freak the heck out. 
and not just normal wind. There wasn't any gust of wind or anything like that, okay? I mean, it was just like a, hey, we're trying to get your attention, and this is the direction that we need you to come in. So follow the moving plant. You know, that's what I thought. I I felt like I was being directed in that direction. And then, right where it says Jimmy Hollywood, there's a bridge that you can go across, and they have this huge building there that's just gorgeous at the Hollywood Cemetery. It's just beautiful. The whole place is just gorgeous. It's just beautiful. And as I walked across that bridge, that's when, like, freaking, I felt like Snow White. I felt like Noah. I felt like everything. I felt like Dr. Doolittle. I felt like all of those things kind of rolling up into one. Because all of these birds and animals came out of nowhere. I saw these huge ducks come in, flying. There were, I started counting. There was four huge ducks. There were six black ducks. There was one There was three white swans, and there was like a gray swan. And as I was sitting um, and like looking um, at the uh, at the little moat that they have like around that area, it's a cute little moat, you know. You cross the bridge, and you can see the koi fish. The koi fish were swimming in a three circle. They were swimming in a circle. Like, while I was, like, looking down at the bridge, I always think of Don Knotts, too, whenever I see those koi fish at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. I'm just waiting for one to pop out and go, but I am they! You know, I'm just, I, I'm just not sure what, you know, I'm waiting. I don't know what to do down here, Andy. I've been waiting for you, and I'm not sure what I need to do. You know, something like that. You know, you know Don Knotts. We always love Don Knotts. The Golly Shazam show. Loved that show. Barney Fife, Andy Griffith show. My dad reminds me of Andy Griffith and my mom, Donna Reed. Anyway, back to the Hollywood Cemetery. I swear to God I was watching Don Knotts and his friends circle around in the koi pond. All the turtles popped up. And they pop their heads in a freaking row. Right. But I'm not singing. I'm not making any. I felt like they could literally just sense that I was there. They could sense that I was there. And I've been walking around and seeing so many butterflies. I've had butterflies. Like I was up at the uh, Griffith Observatory area and I had a butterfly literally. As I was just like pointing at the brand or pointing at the bush during a moment in a musical number, the second I pointed at the bush, a butterfly flew out of it and then landed on my hand. I'm like, huh? I mean, it's it's like it was all about perfect timing. It was perfect timing with the music. It was perfect timing with everything. It was insane. My walks through the holly. Excuse. Oh. I'm sorry, officer. I didn't mean to hiccup so many times. But walking through the Hollywood Cemetery gives me such 
it gives me a charge. I feel like I'm talking to my friends and family. I feel like I'm talking uh, to friends of the past. And and this is the this is the interesting thing. If anyone's done their own research on spiritual journeys and everything like that, they always say that our names we already chose ourselves. Our parents we already chose everything. If that's the case, if I already knew who I was before I jumped down and into this, then I know exactly where I'm going with this, I guess. Then I guess I do know who I might be. Maybe. We're still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> As I keep myself and everyone and my one fan on pins and needles of anticipation. All right, right now I'm grabbing my dad's book. We read the story of Blackie last time. And uh, this time, we are going to be, let's see, I have to turn to the page I should have had. See, this is why bookmarks were invented, people. This is why bookmarks were invented. All right, so that's the story of Blackie that I just finished. Okay. Here we go. Little League Baseball, 1955. The new Little League Baseball team tryouts for boys 9 to 12 years old was scheduled for 10 o'clock Saturday morning. They wanted field four teams. They wanted to field four teams. The Chippewa, the Crows, the Navajo, and the Sioux. I thought it would be fun to play on one of those teams. Maybe I could be the next Rookie Rigsby, the miracle kid in the movie Rookie's Bump. He is given a mysterious bump on his arm and develops a super zoom ball. With his new major league arm, he lands a position to pitch for the Brooklyn Dodgers and has Roy Cambinella and Carl <laughs> I'm so sorry. These are names that I'm not familiar with. Oh my gosh, how embarrassing. Oh, anyway, I grabbed my glove and biked in the baseball field. The place was packed with kids. We were divided into two small groups and told to report to one of the coaches. Coach asked, Can you catch? Yeah, I can catch. Good. Put on the catcher's mask, chest protector, and shin guards, and go behind home plate. I had misunderstood the question. I didn't mean to have him think I was a catcher. I just meant that I could catch a baseball. I stopped some of the pitches, but mostly ended up getting past me. After a grueling tryout behind home plate, Another boy took my place. Coach asked, What other position do you play? I'm shortstop. So I told him, Shortstop! After the coach hit a few ground balls to me, it was clear that I wasn't going to be an infielder. If I stopped the ball, my throws took two bounces to reach first base. I moved to the outfield. Finally, a position I felt comfortable playing. With my speed, I could reach the line drivers quickly. 
I even caught a couple of fly balls. My weak-throwing arm didn't seem to be a problem. Hitting was another story. I didn't have a strike zone. If I could reach the ball with my bat, it was hittable. A few days after tryouts, the coaches posted the list of players. I became a Chippewa. Over the summer, with practice and game experience, I improved as a player. In the middle of the baseball season, doctor, the doctor diagnosed me with medical issues concerning my private parts. My brothers called them doodahs. Mother arranged me to have an operation to correct the problem. I wanted to wait until the end of baseball season, and the doctor felt that, that it should be completed as soon as possible. He said, you'll, you'll only be missing one or two games. Aw, man, do I have to? Mom said, I'm afraid you don't have a choice. She checked me into the Shipman Hospital the evening before surgery because my operation was scheduled for early in the morning. My fear was at a level that I could have never experienced before. When I discovered they assigned me to a bed in a ward with three adult men, it just added to my anxiety. Next to the window, an elderly man was loudly snoring. A nervous Sick-looking patient circled the room, pushing a rolling metal stand. A hanging plastic bag connected to a tube with a needle at the end stuck into the man's left arm. The third patient was just waking up from a nap. His eyes were bloodshot, he was unshaven, smelled, and had tattoos covering both arms. I noticed that his left cheek had an uncomfortable twitch. He spoke with a raspy, slurred voice. What's your name, kid? Jack Williams. Do you know Hannah Williams? Yeah. She's my mother. I know Hannah. She's a waitress at Vertine's Cafe. Tell her Tick says hi. I will. Jack, could you do me a favor and, uh, hand me my leg? What? Uh, my, yeah, can you hand me my leg? It's out of the bed. Uh, I gotta go to the bathroom. At first, I didn't understand what he was talking about. Looking under the bed, I found a fake leg. Feeling a little uneasy, I picked it up and handed it to him. Tick strapped it on, stood up, and limped to the bathroom. Later that night, Tick told me about the Navy adventures and how he developed the twitch that led to his nickname. Each tattoo had a story. He also gave me advice about life. For the most part, he succeeded in cleaning up his sailor language. At first, he had seemed to be a gruff old man, but I liked him. Tired, I crawled into bed. There was more activity than I was used to in my quiet room at home. But somehow the old man snoring, the guy with the plastic bag still circling the room, and Tick talking in his sleep relaxed me into a deep slumber. In the middle of the night, I woke up to a frightening scream. The man with the plastic bag had a panic attack. He noticed that the liquid in the bag had stopped dripping and yelled for the nurse. The problem was fixed, and then finally the man calmed down. 
I stayed awake until a nurse came to roll me into the bright, white operating room. It was a little scary to see the nurses wearing gowns and masks. The doctor entered wearing a sleeveless white t-shirt. He was also sweating. A nurse stuck a needle in my arm and told me to count to ten. One, two, three, four. I woke up looking a little blurred vision at the ceiling. The room spun. My stomach felt like it was going to upchuck. And I fell back into a deep sleep. Later in the day, I came back to life. My head was a little groggy, but when my eyesight cleared, I became aware that I was in a room all by myself. I was comfortably relaxing in bed until the afternoon when a drill sergeant of a nurse ordered me to get out of it. I became aware of a stabbing pain in my groin. When Sarge made me walk down the hall, I felt a stinging pain. It would hurt only when I stood or straightened my back or took a step. Sarge kept telling me, Stand up straight, boy! You're hunched over like an 80-year-old man! Passing my old room, I heard Tick yell, Hey, Jack! No running in the hall, okay? <laughs> Sarge's reward for being a good soldier was to have me sit on the edge of my bed and eat a bowl of red jello. Oh, boy, did it taste good. After a two-day stay, Mom brought me home to recuperate. I plopped myself up on the sofa and watched television. It was too painful to get up and change the channel, so I watched whatever was on the tube. Bored, I checked the Chippewa game schedule. We'd play the Navajo, the best team in the league, today. I asked myself, where would I rather be sitting, at home or on the bench, cheering for my team? I needed to get to the field. It was a struggle to put on my uniform. The doctor said I shouldn't ride my bike, so I walked the four blocks to Whiteside Park. I could feel the sting with each step. The game was already in progress. Coach, Coach Clint said, You're late. Sorry, I just got back from the slide. The coach was into the game. I sat on the bench and watched. This is where I wanted to be. At the bottom of the seventh inning, two out, runners at first and second, and the Navajo ahead by one, coach said, Jack, go to second base and run for Jimmy. Jimmy was the slowest runner on the team. I was the fastest. It was exciting to be playing again. Then I realized that I was unable to run. The Navajo pitcher walked the next hitter, filling the bases. I took a two-foot lead off third base and prayed for the batter to hit a home run. That didn't happen. He hit a blooper to the shallow left field. I heard the coach yell, Run! Hoping to score, I shuffled down the line just a little faster than an 80-year-old man. I felt a hot, stinging sensation. The team, What are you waiting for? Get going! Run! Dave, the left fielder, picked up the ball and threw a bullet to home plate. Slide! I was out by three feet, and that was the end of the game. The coach asked, why didn't you run? Because I just got home from the hospital. I had surgery three days ago. Why didn't you tell me you couldn't play? 
Spider, our first baseman, said, You just cost us the game. Sorry. Feeling dejected, I started the slow walk home. My thoughts went to my stay at the hospital and a conversation I had with my new friend Tick. He said, Don't worry about what happened in the past. That's done with. Don't worry about what's going on or what's going to happen in the future. That hasn't happened yet. Enjoy what's happening right now. The game became a past memory. Time to live in the now. I made a side trip to the Parkside Milk Bar and ordered my favorite Green River Big Dip. Aww. Sorry, that was my very first time reading that. A little, a little, uh, I just wanted it to sound like if I was reading, you know, like my kids' a story, goodnight. Like, that's what I'm reading you. Oh, I just, that's such a cute story. I love it. I absolutely love it. All right, I'm going to read something to you that I wrote, and then that will be the show for the day. How exciting is this? I mean, this show. I mean, it's nonstop entertainment. Like, I mean, seriously, Chuck, I think we need another drum roll. Aw, thanks, Chuck. Thanks. I just want everyone to know that Chicklet is doing just fine. Chicklet is on vacation right now. And Chicklet will be joining us next week. And Chicklet will be back. Chicklet's been gone for a while collecting some data for me. So I'm going to be sending Chicklet out on another adventure somewhere in Hollywood next week. And have him try to do something obscure. Like crazy. You know, I think I might actually have Chicklet try sitting on the hat of Kermit the Frog at Kermit Studios. Maybe we should try that. Let's try that tomorrow. I think he'll get a kick out of that. And then I'm going to make him do like some dance moves or sing a song while he's on top. All while not getting arrested. I'll see if Chicklet can handle that one. I'm not sure if he can, though. He's up for whatever, though. He's so great. All right, I wrote something. And since I was talking about nerds and geeks and Spencer. Hi, Spencer. Hey, Spencer. I just wanted to say hi. Mmm. Yeah. Just wanted to say a quick hello. Damn. Anyway. I wrote a little segment called Having Sex with Nerds. And I thought it was very fitting that I would end the show and read this today. Having sex with nerds. Is nerd even a nice word to use? Or is it looked upon as being a slang term, kind of like faggot? Is nerd an endearing term? Or is geek a better word to use? I'm not sure if smart people is something that smart people enjoy hearing. However, I know that I am an attractive, sexy gay man. And I love hearing how beautiful I look. I mean, you know what I mean? Insert compliment here. All right, getting back to the subject of nerds, geeks, and the ones that all of you beautiful ones discarded. You should have seen the pictures of me when I was younger. I was not the walking sex symbol I am today. I went through many stages of 
What the fuck is that? Uh, you know when you're not sure exactly what you're looking at. However, you know it's human. I mean, at least they thought it was. Uh, I was very into expressing myself in ways that most people might shy away from. Like wearing my sister's prom dress around the house when no one was home. Or I'd put on my mom's heels and clomp around the bedroom, hearing myself walk like I was a New York City girl. My dad was the theater director of town, and there would be many costumes littered all over the house. Much of them I would put on when I was by myself. I was Zorro, I was Cinderella, I was Snow White, and I was Prince Charming. I was everybody, sometimes all at once. So I know what it feels to use your imagination to have fun. Now, instead of imagination, sometimes nerds use that other part of their brain. You know that logical part? The part that us creatives are like, Oh my God, what are paper clips for? And why are my papers all over the place? Us creatives give other right-sided brain thinkers excitement in their life. And this is where the sexy, nerdy, geeky guy is always my go-to. Have you ever met a nerdy guy or a geeky guy that has ever truly been mean to anyone? Or even in movies, have you ever seen the nerd outright mean to anyone? We haven't. Because they're the ones that are usually being mean, like everyone's being mean to them. I myself have felt the exact same way. On a totally different level, though. I use these experiences to be able to relate to other groups of people that may have gone through different experiences. However, have had the same emotional outcome. Nerdy guys have always felt like they were the underdogs, like they didn't matter. Get me around a sexy nerd, and I become the one that's closed off. I become shy, sometimes I appear rude, or even like I don't want to talk to you. Everything I have just stated could not be further from the truth. It's because deep down inside, I am turning into a 16-year-old girl and have absolutely no idea what to say to a sexy, geeky nerd. My words get flustered as I see a gorgeous, sexy, intelligent man standing in front of me. To me, the sexy, geeky man is the epitome of what I want to have one day as a husband. I mean, would you know what to say? I don't think you would. I mean, if I ever met Spencer from Criminal Minds, I would probably pass out into his arms, open-mouthed, of course, after which he would whisk me away to a hospital room where we would do the nasty-nasty next to somebody having heart problems, yet they would still be masturbating vigorously to our sexual indiscretions. As I lit my cigarette and walked out of the the hospital room in a nurse's uniform, I would turn around and say, Hey, Spencer, baby, thanks. Nurse Ratched needed that. Now I gotta go back to work. As I would watch him walk away in that sexy, nerdy walk, and his hair all disheveled because I just had my way with him as much as he had his way with me. Ah, so hot. The sex with a nerd is beyond anything I could ever explain. They are constantly trying to make you feel that you're the center of an orgasmic pleasure session. 
They love making sure that a person that is in their bed with them gets pleasure first. They are the most selfless, romantic, seductive, and passionate lovers one could ever look for. They are a hidden gem among the men around us. If you see a sexy nerd, do not pass them up and don't give them away. For they will treat you like the princess, queen, king, whatever you want to be. And let me tell you, there's nothing hotter than kissing a man and having him look at you with those nerdy, geeky, sexy eyes. You know those nerdy, geeky, sexy eyes? Those eyes. Oh, God, those eyes. They're all into the puppy dog adorable eyes that just make you want to make them feel really good. You know what I mean? Sexy, nerdy men are hot. They shouldn't be easily discarded. The next time you see one walking down the street, club them against the head, slam them in the back of your car, drive home as fast as possible, and make love to them in a way that you never thought was possible. By the way, I'm totally kidding. Violence is never the answer. What I would do is just drive up to said nerd, geek, and or sexy man and ask them to just enter your car. Being such a great citizen and sexy, geeky nerd, most likely they will just get into the car by themselves. If he is a sexy, geeky nerd, make sure to have some peanuts and or bugles nearby. Bugles, Peanuts, and Pringles are an instant magnet to any nerd and or geek. They always like putting the bugles on their fingers, you know, pretending that they're some monster and or alien from another planet. I mean, not that I know anything about doing that myself. Wow, you don't know me. The last thing I have to say about having sex with a sexy, nerdy, geeky guy is your orgasm will be so intense your eyes will roll into the back of your head. I am not joking, people. The amount of attention that they will put on you, every sense of your body is being lit up. Every sense of your body is on massive fire. So when you finally unleash that beast of an orgasm, it will be explosively beautiful. Oh, hey, thanks. That was one of the readings that I just got done reading about the sexy, nerdy, geeky guy. Oh, and to me, I mean, oh, come on. I'm gonna, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm not sorry. I am not sorry. Spencer from Criminal Minds is so fucking hot. I'm sorry. He's hot. He's so fucking beautiful. I mean, seriously. Like, what the? Anyway, I don't get it. You know what? God just makes men like that just so you have to stare at them and then nothing happens? What the fuck? I mean, seriously, that's like hell. That's hell right there. Watching all these fucking hot guys walk around and I can't do dick about it. Now that's fucking hell. That's hell. My name is James Axel and I'm coming to you semi-homemade live on a pile of stuffed animals. 